Today we are jumping ahead a little bit in Romans to Romans chapter 10. Next week we'll be back in Romans chapter 7. But today in Romans 10, we're going to focus on deploying resources for Christ's kingdom. How Jesus saves and sends us to proclaim the gospel and make disciples so that others would be saved and sent to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. Back in 2014, we recast our vision as a church, we restated our priorities, we recommitted ourselves to the gospel and forged a path to deepen our ministries and develop our property and deploy resources for the kingdom. And we have a God-given desire to deploy resources, and because much is entrusted to us, much is required. And so today I want to encourage you, regarding what God has done, and to challenge you regarding to what God wants to do in and through us for His glory as we explore this, the mission that Christ has for His church and our part in it. So if you're able, I want you to stand with your Bibles. I'm going to read Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. I'll remind you, this is the Word of God. It's inerrant, it's inspired, it's infallible, it's, it's from God, and it's a privilege to call ourselves really to attention before God and to read uh, his very word. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are here with us and that you, you are the one who opens our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. We pray, Lord, that you'd have your way in our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. There is a very clear gospel sequence in Romans chapter 10. A very clear gospel sequence. God sends, we go, we preach, people hear, some are saved. That sequence begins with, with us coming to faith in Christ. So you could phrase it this way. God saves, God sends, we go, we preach, people hear, and some are saved. One must be sent. The one sent must preach the good news. Those to whom he is sent and preaches must hear the message preached. The message must be believed. Those who believe must call on the Lord. And the steps of this sequence are clear. They're, they're like links in a chain. And so we're focusing today on being sent, but I want you to see this process. And this is what we see in this passage today. Being saved, being sent by Jesus, deploying resources for Christ's kingdom. It means something. It means something significant. It assumes certain truths. It assumes that there is a, a Christ-centered community of people who are intent 
on something. They are committed to something. They are resolved to do something. That something for us is proclaiming the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. That something for us is making disciples. That something for us is sacrificially serving Jesus. I want to point out to you today what would mark a community like that. What must mark us as a community like that. If we're intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus, I believe that we will be marked by four areas of growth. Four areas of growth. I want to point those out to you today. We'll take them one after another. The first is that there would be a growing understanding of Christ's mission. A growing understanding of Christ's mission. Embracing God's plan. That every Christian is saved and sent for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. The first thing we see really in this passage of this sequence of of gospel events is that, that a Christian is saved and then sent for the sake of the gospel. Uh, the biblical pattern is obvious, not just here, really throughout the Bible, and it's like a flashing neon sign. Really, the only way you could miss it is if you're trying to not see it. A growing understanding of Christ's mission. I want you to go to Acts chapter 13. There's a great example here in Acts 13 of sending, and it's interesting how it goes. And it really gives us a picture of Christ's mission. So here you have the church in Acts chapter 13. In verse 2 it says they're worshiping. So they're just enthralled with Jesus. They love Jesus so much. They're worshiping him. And it says they're fasting. So they're doing without their food because they are so intent on worshiping God. And they're worshiping and they're fasting. And it says that the Holy Spirit said. Now we don't know how he said it. We don't know exactly how it came about. We do know the Holy Spirit said something to the people here. It's very clear because here's the quote. Look at the text. Verse 2. He said, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And in verse 2 there, there is the Greek word for set apart. And it means to mark them off by boundaries. Like, put them over here and reserve them for this service. So this is God saying this. Now look at verse 3. This is interesting. Look at verse 3. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Different word for sent here. It literally means to set them free and release them. And what we see here is that God is the primary sender. We are the secondary senders. We confirm God's call. We confirm God's sending. We we recognize it. And then we release and let go. This is what happens. They're set apart. The Holy Spirit says, set them apart, verse 2. Verse 3, they send them away. And then look at verse 4. Very interesting. Verse 4. What does it say? Being sent by, not the church, but the Holy Spirit. It says, being sent by the Holy Spirit. So we are the secondary senders. God is the primary sender. Some are going, some are staying. But all, and this is the key point here, all are sent. Okay, some are going, some are staying, but all believers are sent. 
Now Jesus, post-resurrection, pre-ascension, he's, he's raised from the dead, he hasn't ascended to the Father yet, and in John 20, here's what he says, and you're going to be able to, to finish this verse with me, I know you will. Here's how it goes. As the Father sent me, so I send you. So he's telling his followers, the Father sent me to be the Savior of the world. I'm sending you out with the gospel message. And sent is an interesting word. It's where we get our word apostle, apostello. It's used 104 times in the New Testament. Now we're in Romans 10, and specifically on verse 15 today, that's the only time in the book of Romans that word is found. How shall they preach unless they are sent? So, you know, people are not saved unless the gospel is preached. God sends preachers to preach the gospel so that unbelievers hear the gospel. And who is sent? Who is sent here? Biblically, who is being sent out with the gospel? Acts 1.9 tells us. Excuse me, Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 tells us. Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Every believer who is saved is sent by God with the gospel. And what you notice in Acts 1.8 is there are these concentric circles of sending. It starts where you are to wherever God sends you. In those days, people often wouldn't travel more than 20 miles from their hometown for their entire life. Can you imagine never traveling more than 20 miles from your home your entire life? Many of us are so you know, hyper-connected to the globe and, and we can go anywhere we want, almost anytime we want, that it's, it's a kind of a foreign thought to even think that that could have even happened. But God sends, and he might send you to stay in your hometown your whole life, and he might send you to the furthest part of the earth. Those who call on the Lord and are saved must believe in him, and without believing in Jesus, they cannot be saved. And belief is not possible apart from hearing the message of the gospel that someone preaches, and the message is preached by one sent by God. Unless you proclaim the gospel of the grace of God in Christ, you're not proclaiming the message. Romans begins this way, actually. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Paul is saying he's set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's very clear he's speaking of a resurrected Lord who has secured salvation for his people through his work on the cross. If you go on in Romans, and now if you've been with us since September when we started our verse-by-verse study through Romans, you'll notice we've gone from chapter 1 all the way to almost to the end of chapter 7. You'll notice in chapter 1, verse 18 to 32, people unequivocally, all people reject God's natural revelation. 
all people without exception reject God's revelation proclaimed in nature and turn to idols. And then you look at Romans 10 and you conclude, and you must conclude this, that people are not saved apart from the preaching of the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. The gospel that says that Jesus died for our sins in our place on the cross. He shed his blood that he was buried and that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures and that he is returning with blessing for those who believe and judgment for those who refuse to believe. And that gospel, with, if it's not preached, people are not going to be saved. Paul quotes Joel chapter 2, verse 32 in Romans chapter 10 And he says this, for everyone, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a quote of Joel, and emphasizes that salvation is available to all nations and all races. It was a familiar Old Testament expression addressed to the one true God. A recognition of, now in in Romans, a recognition of Jesus as Lord, the Father who raised Jesus from the dead, chapter 10, verse 9 here. What does it say in verse 9? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Salvation comes to those who hear and believe the gospel. And I, I love the fact that God has Isaiah and Joel being quoted in Romans chapter 10. Because what it does is it helps us to see the global emphasis throughout the whole Bible. If we want to understand and have a growing understanding of Christ's mission, we need to see how prevalent it is in the whole Bible. So the beautiful feet uh, is being quoted there in chapter 15. It's, It's Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, feet are not beautiful, really. I, I cut my toenails yesterday, and it wasn't beautiful. My feet are not beautiful. They're calloused, and they've hiked a lot of trails. And even in shoes, you know, they're, they're just, feet are not beautiful in and of themselves, okay? But it's the message of the good news which those feet carry that is so beautiful and so welcomed. You go on in chapter 10 of Romans, verse 16, it says they didn't all obey the gospel. They didn't obey the beautiful news of the gospel. The good news is the gracious offer, but it is also a command to believe and repent. It says they didn't believe the report. That's a quote from Isaiah 53, verse 1. The report was, what, was of what Isaiah 53, verse 5 was pointing to, how Jesus would be crushed for our sins. That the Messiah would be crushed for our sins. So the report here being spoken of in Romans chapter 10 is the report of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel. No other name given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. The beautiful feet of Isaiah 52.7 highlights the sending and the going of those proclaiming the gospel of Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. 
And what Isaiah 52, 7 is doing in, in Romans 10 is telling us, God is telling us there, it was accomplished. The, the prophecy of Isaiah there was accomplished through the preaching of the gospel by the apostles. And the prophecy was fulfilled and the messengers were sent out and the messengers continue to be sent out and the gospel continues to be preached and that salvation continues to be available for all who believe. This is good news. What it means is the the door hasn't closed. If, If you're not a Christian right now, you can become a believer today. The, the, the gospel call is available to all who will believe. In those days, you know, Isaiah 52, 7, beautiful on the mountains at the feet of those who bring good news, you would picture messengers traveling over the mountains to spread the good news of God's redemption. It's, uh, there's a place in Nahum chapter 1 that that speaks of this as well but it's expanded in Romans chapter 10 to the spreading of the gospel of God's grace from the time of Christ on the good news of salvation in Christ good news in the day of Isaiah again you picture a, a messenger racing over the hills over the hills of Judah toward Jerusalem this is what Nahum talks about about a, a military victory coming, how God has won a great victory, how Zion's God reigns, and, and there would now be peace for her citizens. And whoever was watching for the messenger out on the horizon would, would break forth into loud cries of joy as they heard the news. Announcing the news. The victory song, the waste places of Jerusalem would break forth in joyous song. They would celebrate that God is comforting his people, that he has redeemed his people, even that he has bared his holy arm, as Isaiah says, power in the sight of the nations, Isaiah 51 verse 9. 52 verse 9 says the ends of the earth would come to see the salvation of God, that there would be good news from the captives, that, that sin would be renounced. In the Old Testament, it was, it was Babylon getting renounced. It was code word for sin being renounced. This is like the exodus from Egypt. This is the new exodus. God leading the way in Christ. Believers now, believers in Jesus, We're talking about the gospel here, are now assured of safe arrival because God is their front guard and their rear guard. God is with them. Uh, in all of this is, is realized in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. You see this global gospel emphasis. Even in the Old Testament, God promised Abraham that all the nations would be blessed through his offspring. You see it in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And and when Isaiah applies it, he doesn't limit the blessing just to Israel. He is regularly foretelling that the nations would also hear of salvation, that salvation would reach the ends of the earth, that Gentiles would be included into the people of God. It would fold the Gentiles into salvation. And that fits in very nicely when you read through Isaiah and, and the obvious disdain for idolatry that God was having Isaiah put forth. 
that God Almighty, Yahweh, is the creator of all, totally separate from idols. Chapter 40, verses 17 to 20 tells us that, that God exists and has always existed, that he didn't need human beings to to drum him up, that he didn't need human beings to make him. He is the sovereign creator of the universe, and he deserves all glory and honor and praise, as Isaiah 42, 8 says. And continually the foolishness of idolatry is chastised in Isaiah. And more than any other Old Testament writer, Isaiah emphasizes there is only one true God. Only one true God. And what you see in Isaiah from chapter 40 to 66 to the end of Isaiah is the salvation of the Gentiles because the good news of the Messiah would go to them as well. That the servant of the Lord would bring forth justice to the nations, Isaiah 42.1. That the coastlands would wait for his law, 42.4. That the servant would serve as a light to the nations, 42.6. That God's praises would resound to the ends of the earth, 42.10. So that the glory would be given to God alone, 42.12. That the salvation would reach to kings and princes, 49.7. That nations would be sprinkled by the atoning work of the servant and kings would see what many in Israel did not see. That God Almighty, Creator, Redeemer, sends the Messiah to those who worshiped things made with human hands. That's us. We were worshiping things made with human hands. And, and God Almighty is contrasted with dumb idols carried by the people who worship them. Pe- you know, people have to carry their idols. Have to put them somewhere. They're dumb, they can't do anything for you. And none compares to the one true God. This is what Isaiah keeps telling us over and over again. And it's angling towards this gospel progression that we see in Romans chapter 10. That God declares from the beginning what will happen in the future. And he shows he's the one true God. And his salvation reaches to the whole world. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 29. God telling Adam and Eve to multiply and fill the earth. So when Isaiah says that God enlarges the borders of the land in Isaiah 26, 15, it's fulfilling that. That Isaiah proclaims salvation to the Gentiles. You know, you know when it starts in Isaiah? From chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to the end of, of Isaiah. God's word is going to stream out of Jerusalem and all people will enjoy the new creation. So here you have Isaiah 52, 7 in Romans chapter 10 and and. According to the New Testament, the promise has been fulfilled that the gospel would go out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And it is still going out. This very day, this, this very moment. Isaiah 42, 22, God says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. There will be a worldwide reach of salvation. Jew and Gentile alike will hear the message. And so the beautiful feet of Isaiah 52 verse 7 would be the beautiful feet of Jew and Gentile alike who are saved and now sent to go with the gospel to all nations. And who will receive the glory, honor, and praise for all of that? The Holy One of Israel saving both Jews and Gentiles and judging the wicked. Because of his holiness, his word goes forth and saves. And what we see, if we want to understand Christ's mission, is the servant of Isaiah, none other than Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the son of the living God. 
He has accomplished salvation, and that salvation is being proclaimed to the ends of the earth. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Jesus saves. We must have a growing understanding of Christ's mission and how pervasive it is in Scripture. All of Scripture points to it. The second thing I want to bring up is that there must also be a growing love for people. Because you notice you get sent, but you're not getting sent you know, to lizards or trees to talk to them about Jesus. You're getting sent to people, real people. Real messy people, real sinful people, real people with problems, real people that get on your nerves, real people that agitate you, real people that maybe you even are repulsed by. And the beautiful feet go. Beautiful actually originally meant seasonal, seasonable, uh, beautiful, fair, lovely, pleasant. The feet are beautiful, and one must be sent. Beautiful and sent kind of are a parallel, the parallel terms, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. But they're pointing to the same thing. It means the same. Proclaim good news to who? People. Okay? Proclaim good news to people. We must know how dire the situation is for those who are not in Christ. How desperately they need to hear the gospel. How decisively we need to act upon the call that God has put upon our lives to to go with the gospel. The Father sent the Son. If If you're in Awana, kids, you know this verse. The Father sent the Son, what? To be the Savior of the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So Jesus saves us and sends us so that we would love people with the gospel message and with our lives. This is what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but our very lives because you had become very dear to us. Now when Jesus arrived on the scene... After all the prophecies, Jesus arrives on the scene and there is a shift in focus for the people of God. No longer was it mainly come and see, but in light of Christ's death and resurrection, uh, for his followers, the mandate became go and tell. As a huge outward focus instituted. Not that it didn't exist before, but, but it became primary. So it is for this purpose that we are sent out as believers. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Jesus sends us out. Jesus with us always. We go as he sends. Now there were elements of this previously. As I mentioned in Genesis chapter 12, you got Abraham being sent out to bless the nations. You've got Jonah being sent to preach to the people of Nineveh that they needed to repent. You've got the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 96 notably is a mission psalm about the, the, the glories of God going to the ends of the earth. Uh, There were plenty of hints in the prophets how the the Messiah would inaugurate a a mission to the ends of the earth, but how startling was it to Peter to be told to send the message to Gentiles? God had to very dramatically show he and the church how important that call was and how pervasive it needed to be. 
And the reason why is because no longer did you have to come to a place, the temple, because believers are the temple of the living God. God sends the temple to the nations. God manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere we go. To some, it's an aroma of life because they're believing. To some, it's the stench of death because they do not believe. And so to a Christian, to be a Christian is to be a sent one. And it isn't just, by the way, a special class of Christian that we send out, like just the Barlows because they're really special. Now they're great, right? They're amazing. But all Christians are sent. We are, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of Jesus Christ everywhere we are. And God makes his appeal through us that people ought to be reconciled to him. Now, it isn't, you know, come and see versus go and tell. It's both, really. We are sent ones. We are witnesses. We are ambassadors. We have the fragrant aroma But it's basically go and tell people to taste and see that the Lord is good. Go and tell people that Jesus says, come to me. I'm going to go with the gospel. As you go, you might run into someone one day. And you never met them before. And God just compels you to preach the gospel to them. And they might even get saved. I've had that happen before. Hasn't happened very often, but it's happened before. And then there's people you know, your neighbors, friends, family members, whoever. You, you have this genuine interest in, your, in their spiritual welfare on an ongoing basis, and you are relationally connected to them, and you're praying for them, and God can use your relational involvement in their life because we are blessed by God to, to be a blessing to others. We are not blessed by God to bless ourselves. We are to abide in Christ, to rest in Jesus, and deny ourselves and bless others. I remember when I was in high school, I got a job at a clothing store. You might remember the name of this place, Miller's Outpost. Remember that place? Okay. And I didn't actually realize it at the time, but to work there and keep your job, you had to greet every person that walks in the door. And I was not really used to doing that. I was a little bit shy to do that and uh, wanted to keep my job. And uh, I learned how to greet everyone who walked in the door. It kind of helped me be a more outgoing. And um, all I would tell you is this. We're talking about loving people. It is one thing. You might say, I love the gospel. You might say, I love to preach the gospel. But if you don't love people, it will maybe fall on deaf ears because they're like, that person doesn't really care about me. They don't treat me very kindly. It's one thing to love to preach the gospel. It's another thing to love those to whom you preach the gospel. And, you know, people have eyes and ears, and we're, most of us are smart. We, we kind of, you kind of know. But you, you preach the gospel to people you love. They get saved, and now you love them as your brothers and sisters in Christ, which opens up a whole other can of worms, right? Because now you're going to be living in close proximity and hanging out with each other and seeing, you know, warts and all, all the things that go on in human life, and sometimes you'll be agitated with one another or frustrated with one another, and you're still called to love each other. It's like marriage. 
And what happens is, as you love people and God uses you, ministry multiplies because you have ongoing care and concern and connectedness with people, and you end up having to buy lots of towels for all the tears. Or tissues. You need tissues for the tears. Because even tears of joy. What I mean by that is as you love people, there will be times you cry. We were crying yesterday in, in Dick Bray's service. I cried when I, when I heard about it. Because I love the guy. And because he's with Jesus now, you know, we rejoice, but we still are sad. I remember in Acts chapter 20, in, in verse 37, when Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, and he's, he's down at the beach with them because he's going to get in a, in a sailing vessel to leave and it says that there was much weeping on the part of them all. Because they loved each other so much. So I would just say, as you get a growing love for people, get some tissues. Keep them handy. Or use your sleeve. But if a beloved brother or sister in Christ dies, or if one is sent even far away, it's, it's not going to feel good. It's going to hurt. And that really leads us to the third point. Because not just a growing understanding of Christ's mission and not just a growing love for people, you need both of those in great measure, but third, you need a growing capacity. We need a growing capacity to release resources of people, possessions, growing in generosity with what belongs to Christ, uh, giving without reserve, growing capacity to release our you know, kung fu grip, and you know how tight the kung fu grip is to release our kung fu grip on resources and give sacrificially. Someone might ask, why are we doing what we're doing as a church? Someone might ask, aren't there enough needs here in Orange? Man, there's a lot of needs in our area. But I would ask, what is a church supposed to do? Be a country club? Of course not. Thomas Aquinas said, if the highest aim of a captain were to preserve his ship, he would keep it in port forever. We aim to deploy. Now that's a military word. It, it, it's the idea of moving troops and, and equipment and resources into position for military action. We are in a battle for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. So forces need to be deployed at strategic locations and, and God is the sender who is providentially orchestrating the, the deployment to put them into effective action and we've got to have a generosity that comes from a kingdom mindset sacrificially serving jesus not not to feel good about ourselves not not to make us feel like we've arrived and it's not what's best for us it's how best can i be used for christ's kingdom if as you grow in christ your prayers change from what's best for me lord to Lord, what's best for your kingdom and my part in it? If we only make choices best on what's best for us, we, we become very selfish and very self-centered. As a church, I just want to show you what we stated in 2014. Some of you were here, some of you were not. But in 2014, we said that we wanted to um, 
Deploy resources for God's kingdom. It was one of the things we want to do as a church. And, and one of the things we said was we want to send church planters and church leaders. And we talked about having many strong leaders and we want to send leaders to existing churches and help plant new churches. And strengthen other churches and help equip others and have compassion and be open-handed and gladly give of everything we have. Isn't that interesting? This has been a part of our DNA as a church since our founding. Preaching the word and reaching the community and sending people out for Christ's kingdom. Jesus said, freely you have received. Freely what? Give. Freely give. Freely you've received. Freely give. So we have a growing capacity to release resources, a growing understanding of Christ's mission, a growing love for people, a growing capacity to release resources. And then the fourth and last point I want to make today, and it's, 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 it's embedded in this passage. It is, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a point that doesn't, it doesn't say it exactly, but it is implied. A growing dependence on God. He's the sender. We're sent to preach the gospel. We've got to rely on his power and resources. God does the sending. It could be very easy in so many parts of life, in the Christian life, to have a lot of pride in our hearts if we think we're doing the sending. It's popular to plant and replant churches. How easy it is for us to think in ways where we say, I did this, I did that, we did this, we did that. First Corinthians 4, 7 says, what do you have that you didn't receive? Everything's a gift from God. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Flip over to Matthew chapter nine. Here's Jesus going through the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And then you get to, Matthew 9, verse 36, when Jesus, God in the flesh, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how we should see people. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Every time I think of that, I know it's silly, but I always think of good and plenty candies, okay? By the way, they promised a lot, but they just had black licorice on the inside. Um, no chocolate. Uh, but it says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's like, it's good and plenty, this harvest, but there's few laborers. So what's the instruction that God gives? Look at it. What did he say to do? Verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, Pray to me, he says, to send out laborers into my harvest. And send out is literally like thrust out violently. And then in chapter 10, he's like, I'm going to show you what I mean now. He calls his disciples and he sends them out. We've got to be harvest workers right where we are. Right where we are. Wherever God calls you, wherever God sends you. He will empower you, but you have to engage in the process. You've got to commit yourself to the work that God has given you to do. God's will is for us to be his witnesses, ambassadors for Christ. What if, let's just say that you were chosen to be the ambassador to Italy, okay, the U.S. ambassador to Italy, and let's say you go there and somehow you forget that you were actually chosen to be the ambassador for Italy, and you start thinking you're on vacation in Italy, 
Like all the time, you're like, I'm just on vacation. And you're enjoying yourself, and one day you're having a pizza on the piazza, and, and you get a call from the home office. And they're like, what are you doing? You're not on vacation. You're our ambassador. Well, think about that as a Christian. Are you here on earth as a visiting ambassador, or are you a vacationer? We are strangers and aliens. We are, this doesn't mean you can't go on vacation. This is a uh, figure of speech here. Are you a visiting ambassador, or are you a vacationer? Are, is your citizenship in heaven, or are you you're planting the roots so down deep on earth that you're forgetting that you're an ambassador? There should be, if, we're de- if we have a growing dependence on God, there should be a, a growing loss of control on our part. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plan, plans will be established. The Hebrew word for commit literally means to roll. It's like rolling something away from yourself. And when you roll something away from yourself, it's not in your control anymore. It's in God's hands. If you commit it to God, you're yielding to Christ. Isn't it easy to get things mixed up in the Christian life and start thinking it's all about what we do and all about us and people meeting our needs and we forget it's all about Jesus and the gospel. And Jesus doesn't you know, bend to our whims and wishes. We bow the knee to him. He is first. He calls the shots. Proverbs 16, 9, I love it. The mind of man plans his way, and the Lord directs his steps. God is, is uh, providentially orchestrating, even as we're planning things out as believers. And I know everyone is not an evangelist by gifting, okay? Everyone knows this, right? Some people have the gifting of evangelist. But, but, but everyone is called to evangelize. Sometimes, with our hypermobility, we forget about our own backyard, we forget about the needs, and God is always deploying resources for his kingdom. We are to steward the gospel resources as he orchestrates all things. And I hope... I really hope, hearing these things, that you would have a bigger view of what it means to be sent with the gospel. Get kind of a wider angle lens, if you will, where you would have a growing understanding of Christ's mission. You wouldn't say, oh, I got that, but you would start seeing it all the way through the Bible, and you would have this growing love for people that, that would just deepen and, and a growing capacity to release resources and this growing dependence on God knowing that he's the one who saves and sends, that we would proclaim the gospel, make disciples, so that other people would get saved and sent and do the same thing. And, and of course, we sometimes send people with certain callings to specific places to more easily identifiable mission fields. Uh, the Barlows to England, the Clarks to South Africa, the uh, Patty Morris to France, uh, the Holtz to Philadelphia, the Zunigas to Cherry Valley, Michael and Taylor to Rancho Cucamonga. But let's get this straight. We don't just send out some. We all go. We all go. We just go to a different mission field. Now, some are specifically called to the role of pastors and teachers and evangelists. Ephesians 4 tells us that. I'm called to be a pastor and a teacher. It's what I do. It's what Brian does at Cherry Valley. It's the kind of things Michael will be doing at at Grace Rancho. We are called in these roles to equip the saints for works of service. I am called to equip you to go. 
like this afternoon and tomorrow morning, wherever you go, to encourage you and call you to your task. Many Christians uh, feel like they're getting put on a guilt trip because they don't share the gospel. How can you be a Christian and not share the gospel? The task we have is one we all share. We share it together. Uh, What we do here when we gather on the weekends and, and even throughout the week is not the only thing. It's very, very important. But it's only one part of the process because you spend most of your time outside of these walls, at school, at home, at work, in your community. You know, today I don't primarily want to inspire you to cheer on the Barlows and the Zunigas and the Sheriffs. Love them, support them, help them, But I want to inspire you to go out with the gospel wherever God has sent you. This is a battle for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And you have been called. If you're a believer, you've been called. You're being equipped all the time. You're you're sent ones. And being sent is not a one-time thing. It's a plurality of moments. You are never too old or too young. I love the fact that there's all ages around. Never too old or too young. To make a difference for Jesus and the gospel. What are you doing? What are you doing for Jesus and the gospel in the place that God has presently sent you and planted you? And even what kind of vision or desire is percolating in your heart for deploying resources for the gospel in the future? We're being deployed to different places. And you may be called elsewhere someday, but for right now, you are called right where you are. You are blessed to bless others, so I would just say find something really useful to do for Jesus and the gospel right here, right now. And, and I've said this so many times before, I, I just think it bears repeating a lot. Uh, you have keys and passcodes where the rest of us can't go. And access has already been granted to you, given to you by God. Uh, be careful with it, be wise with it, be discerning, Be most thoughtful as you bring Jesus and the gospel into the context, into the conversation. But we are a people deployed in the school, in the workplace, in the neighborhood. People are afraid, aren't they? We're all afraid that we can't bring our faith into the the workplace, the schools, and that's not true. We worry about being ridiculed or sued or fired. You have freedom to share your faith. There are dangers, of course, all around, pitfalls, Landmines, wolves. We live in a hostile world that we have to wake up and smell how anti-crust our society is. We know this. But here's the unofficial motto of the U.S. Coast Guard. You have to go out. You don't have to come back. We go out in love. I've said this before too, but if you carry the gospel like a weapon, you'll get attacked. You carry it like a first aid kit, people will come to you for help. Billions. Billions have never heard the gospel. So we have to commit ourselves to get the gospel to them. There's an old African proverb that goes like this. There is only one crime worse than murder on the desert. And that is to know where the water is and not tell. We have got the greatest news in the world that God forgives everyone who trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we must tell everyone we're sent with the gospel. And Lord, thank you that we can begin right where we are. Thank you, Lord, that we can pray 
regularly for the salvation of those we see regularly. We can pray for opportunities to talk with them about you. And, and we can pray for our missionaries. We can pray for every believer connected to Grace Orange. We can, we can join out in local outreach and global outreach. We can give to the cause of the gospel. We acknowledge, Lord, that you've sent us right where we are and, and that you may call some of us to go even further out to those who have never heard. But Lord, like Isaiah, we respond, here I am, Lord, send me. All for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I wanna invite all of our elders and pastoral staff up as well as Michael and Taylor and we're gonna have a commissioning time right now. It's, um, it's a joy, it's a joy to do this. We have uh, sent the Zunigas out to Cherry Valley. We have uh, continued to support them. We are sending Michael and Taylor to Grace Church of Rancho San, uh, Cucamonga. Um, today we have the privilege to uh, pray for them as we send them out. Um, back in 2014, I mentioned this already, but we, we said we wanted to do things like this. Back in 2015, we put money in our budget to do things like this. And then opportunities started coming our way really last fall. I mean, in October, early October, we sent Brian Zuniga out. And then later that month, there was a series of meetings that, that really that got orchestrated with, with Grace, other Grace Church pastors. And we started talking about some of our struggling churches. And we had a meeting here on October 19th, and 20 people showed up. And there was a church that was going to lose their pastor on January 1 of this year here. And there was an initial meeting, and um, of, amongst the people that showed up was this man right over here, uh, Marshall Walter. I've known him for 12 years. We've been friends for, since, probably since the day we met. He's a really likable guy. So if you're wondering who invited this guy, we did. He's our friend. Uh, he's known Michael, actually, since he was going into the sixth grade. Michael was going into sixth grade, and he was one of the, uh, the uh, youth and children's ministry workers at a uh, conference we went to my first day as pastor of grace on July 29th, 2006, and they, we've stayed friends throughout, and, and they've been stayed connected too, but he's the uh, executive pastor at Simi Valley Grace. That's why he's here, because what happened is at that first meeting, the staff from Simi left, and our staff starts talking, they're talking, and we're all, we're both, un, unbeknownst to each other, we're both going, we could do this together, and the pastor at Simi uh, is a friend of mine, Jordan Baker, and he and I had been talking for a while about, I'm like, draw a, a line between us and you guys, and there's gotta be a church we could help. And uh, you'd have to draw like a curve if you're, gonna, if you're gonna put Rancho in that line, okay? Because it probably won't work out that way. But uh, God just made it happen. And, and even that very night of that first meeting, Ed Trenner and Jeff Lordson and I went out to meet with the uh, Grace Rancho elders, and, and there was a church from Akron, Ohio that was going, wanted to, to um, uh, have the church be one of their seven campuses. And, uh, the pastor, Jeff Bogue, is a friend of mine, and they came out, and as they were going through all this, I think we kept thinking to ourselves, why aren't some of the California churches helping with this? Why does it take somebody from Ohio to come do this? And, and when we left, Jeff and, and Ed and I were like, we could do this. And then we just started talking more and more, and, and you know the story from there, but um, Simi Valley sent out Eric Durso and his family and then asked us to send Michael and Taylor is one of the reasons why this is pretty exciting. The reason we're here this morning is that we're to be equipping the saints, correct? We're equipped for the work of service. We're equipped for the building up of the body of Christ. We're equipped so that we attain to the unity of the faith. 
we're equipped so that we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God and to the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. So for all those reasons, we're excited because the equipping process is what's happening here every, every day, every Sunday especially. This process has been happening for Michael and Taylor, and the process that is, uh, he continues in his seminary training for pastoral ministry is happening to the point where we are now able to help them send them out so they can mm -hmm. equip others now. So uh, it's very exciting for that. He's going to be serving as pastoral assistant at Grace Rancho with the uh, lead pastor, Eric Durso, with the aim that that church, Grace Rancho, now continues the same equipping process to grow and honor Christ through that uh, maturation process. Michael and uh, Eric, are, they're going to be called to shepherd the flock, to give humble oversight, to teach the word, pray for, uh, uh, to teach the word faithfully. And because of that, will you join me as we mm -hmm. pray for them this morning? Okay. Lord, we thank you for Michael. We thank you for Michael and Taylor, for Eric, and for the families that are going to Grace Rancho to begin and continue a work that we pray would be honoring to you, that would continue to accomplish the equipping process, that believers would grow, that people would come to know you, that those believers would continue to grow in the fullness and the maturation of the fullness mm -hmm. of Christ, Amen. that the Lord Jesus would be honored and glorified as a result. Mm -hmm. Lord, we thank you uh, for sending every believer out with the gospel. We, thank, we acknowledge that you have called us into fellowship with yourself in Christ. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your gifts and your calling. We thank you that you empower us to serve your church. Sorry. We pray, Lord, that uh, with thankfulness for Michael and Taylor, Lord, that they're willing to serve you in ministry. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you're, you're sending them out, and we are acknowledging that and helping with that. And we pray, Lord, that you would give them strength uh, to fulfill their roles and responsibilities. We pray, Lord, that you would lead them and guide them and protect them and provide for them. All for your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for your magnificent grace. Pray, Lord, that by your mercy and grace and love that you would use us for your glory everywhere you send us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.